Welcome to the football pod. My name is Konstantin Eckner, and please welcome with me my co-host, Abel Mezaros. Hello, Konstantin. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Um, we have a really interesting discussion today. Um, we are not taking a winter break, just like European football, just like the, the top leagues. But our guest today, who um, manages uh, in the Champions League and also in Austria, is currently on a winter break. So we, we got a chance to... Uh, catch up with him to talk about American football and talk about differences between top European football and then playing in the MLS and coaching in the Champions League. Um, so maybe you can tell us more about our guest today, Konstantin. That's right. Our guest is one of the few American coaches who have made waves in European football in the past couple of years. He manages one of the most fascinating clubs on the continent, in my opinion. So we hope you enjoy our discussion with Red Bull Salzburg's Chessy Marsh. Jesse, thanks for joining us. To start right off, you have the luxury of an extended winter break in Austria. So where are you at right now in terms of preparation for the second half of the season? Are you trying to improve fitness? Are you working on tactical details? Give us an update on what's going on in Salzburg right now. Yeah, first, Constantine, thanks for having me. Um, I'm excited to be here. Uh, you know, normally in Austria, they without uh, when when it's a normal season, they have a, a almost a two month break between games, which I believe from from our experience last year is just too long. So this year, it, it's more of a four week break. Um, so we took two weeks off, and then we're we're having two more weeks of preparation, and then we're we'll get started in our league again. So. Um, you know, we're kind of what we call in trainings lager and, or in, in like preseason camp, but we're doing it here in Austria. We have a lot of snow on the ground right now, but we have some, a heated, uh, a heating system on our fields. Uh, so the, the training conditions have been good enough and, and then, yeah, we'll be ready for our league starts, starts up again the weekend of the, the 22nd and, and then, you know, games start coming pretty fast again. Hmm. So, like, it's interesting that you mentioned that the winter break, right? Because obviously, being from the U.S. and and then having you know being being one of the original uh, legends of the MLS, you're you're definitely used to having these longer. Win I mean, different obviously different schedules in terms of the season, but you wouldn't have basically soccer for a good three four months. And um, I want to ask you. In terms of the differences of you coming over to Europe um, for good for for 2018, um, over to Leipzig, and what did you feel like? I guess apart from this kind of calendar year, what were some of the things that you had to adapt to um, in terms of European German environment, and how different do you think it is from the US? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been very aware of this, how the cycles work in Europe for many years. And, and for a long time in MLS, we've tried to come up with ideas to, to match our calendar a little bit more with FIFA and with UEFA. Um, so, you know, I mean, yeah, the intensity in between the international windows is something, especially when you're, you know, in Leipzig and here in Salzburg, we were always playing in Europe. So, You have to be ready for the games to come fast and be ready to prepare and, and train and get everything moving in the right direction with, with relatively uh, uh, little preparation time. Um, 
But I'll tell you, I love it. You know, it, it's great to be on the international calendar. It's great to work with international windows as far as transfer goes. All the things that we've always said about MLS for many, many years that don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. You can really start to feel that and understand that even more once you get over here in Europe and and work on the normal football calendar. So um, one of the things I do enjoy is, is in MLS, w- during the FIFA breaks, we would still be playing games. Mm-hmm. And here we can actually enjoy a free weekend, maybe a few days away, kind of recharge the battery again before we get into it and, and throw ourselves 100% into the into the work again for another five, six weeks. So, um, yeah, but, uh, you know, the, the only other part I would say that's been that's a, a really important in terms of the learning curve is is understanding culture, European football culture, understanding, you know, what a, what a club means to the, to the city, to the people, how, uh, the, the, the city may, uh, have, uh, also helped create the identity of what the club is and to honor that in your daily work and make sure that whatever the team does when they step on the field, that they're a real true representation of what the fans and the supporters are of that particular country, city, club, everything. So that's really important. And, and frankly, it's a lot of the fun is making sure that, that that's a big part of what we do. So that brings me to another question. There haven't been that many American coaches who worked at top level European clubs. Jesse, do you believe that the level of coaching in the US is at a point where we could see more in the near future? And uh, what are the biggest obstacles for US coaches in terms of breaking through on the European scene? Well, I, I think it's not going to be easy. Um, the first hurdle is the coaching license. Um, and there's no way of getting around it. You have to be uh, UEFA coaching trained. Um, so, and that requires years of preparation, the B, the A, the pro, the Fußballer, what they call in Germany. This requires years of dedication to, to, um, understanding, you know, and explaining and learning what different coaching methodologies and philosophies are. So obtaining the license is the first requirement for being a pro coach in Europe. And you have to often be sponsored by either a federation in a particular country or a club in a particular country. You know, then there's right now the other, I think, really good example of an American coach is uh, Pellegrino Matarazzo at Stuttgart. And and he has been here living in Germany for 25 years. So he, he I played against him in university. He went to Columbia University. And and so it's, you know, for us to see each other again after so many years is is has been a lot of fun. But I mean, he took a totally different path. He played in the lower leagues in Germany. He then uh, lived here and, and went through academies, went through all of his football licenses in Germany. He married a German woman. He has a German family. He speaks German fluently. And he kind of grassroots uh, developed from uh, academies through football licensing, then through the 14s, the 16s, the 19s, uh, an assistant on a pro team in Hoffenheim. And then he took over at Stuttgart. So that's a little bit more of the organic path, I think, than just – um, uh, you know, growing up in the U.S., playing professionally in the U.S., and then trying to move over here. I think that's, you know, another good example of a guy like that is Steve Trundle, who was at Hanover for so many years and then has taken his German licenses. And now is he's actually looking for a job back home in America with MLF. So he's going in the other direction. 
So, you know, I mean, but if you ask me about the expertise of coaching in MLS and the Americans in MLS, I do, I think there's a lot of good, I have a lot of good contemporaries who, who I think are good coaches in MLS right now who are doing good things that, that have developed a style that have developed methodologies and are really bright uh, coaches. But I think there will still be massive hurdles in terms of getting over here in Europe and finding, you know, without without really going through the the, the stages or the stepping stones, because what you find is what what I talked about before is is clubs here they're a, a major part of the culture of different countries and cities, and for for a foreign for for a sport director or an owner of a club here in Germany, Austria, England, France, whatever. To invest in an American who maybe doesn't know the language or hasn't adapted to what football is in Europe or in that country or in that city, to entrust him with the future of the club and for the fans and supporters to to trust them, it, it's a big leap of faith. You know, I mean, you even saw how I was welcomed here in, in Salzburg with a banner that said "Nine to Marsh, No to Marsh," right and. And I had to come here. I knew German. I had I had been inside the company. I had adapted to our football. I had adapted to who we are. And a big reason why I did all those things was so that once I stepped on uh, into this role, that that people would give me a chance and and give me a chance to show that that I'm capable of of leading the team that they love so dearly. So. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of obstacles and it's not easy. I, I'm thankful that I've been able to navigate it and that there's people around me that have been able to trust me the way that they have. But that's been a big part of my success is that that people believe in me. So that 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 will always be key. Yeah, I, I find that really interesting because I think like on, on other interviews you've done, I know you and you and Grant Wall, um, we, we've had on the show before, like you were talking about a little bit uh, – The perceived difficulties of an American and I think that sort of barrier to players have now I don't want to say it's shattered but it's but it's there's there's some cracks in it with with all the success of the recent you know younger younger American players yeah, and for for coaches I, I still think um, I mean you know from from a European perspective and from my American perspective as well is that there is there's a different level of you know understanding or even just the perception of them and And you know they're not going to be the necessarily the the first choices. So mm -hmm. um, I really appreciate that you you shared us these kind of uh, insights because in, in in some ways you are you are kind of um, blazing the trail or also um, I guess following the trail of others like um, you know Bob Bradley who um, you you've obviously uh, got a huge um, relationship with in terms of uh, your, your playing career and then um, going right into uh, right into uh, assistant coaching with him for the national team. Um, can you kind of, you know, for, I mean, for those of us that might not be familiar with that, um, what was sort of the like decision that influenced this, this, this um, move from, you know, finishing your career, obviously um, at, at uh, Chivas and then going to the national team and then Montreal impact, like what were some of the things that, influence that or because it, yeah. it, it like when you look at it look back at it it, it some some of the steps seem sort of like natural steps but then there's also you know some some kind of jumping around or maybe i'm saying that wrong but i think no no, no i understand I'll, i'll take you through a little a few different phases of of kind of how i process things when i was 25 26 years old i had a couple opportunities to come here to europe and 
and they weren't with big clubs. It was, you know, I wasn't a great player. I was a, I was a very, I was above average player. I would describe it a very above average. <laughs> um, and so, but at that age, I decided to stay in the U.S. because my wife was pregnant, and we decided to kind of stay in MLS. And 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 at that point, I made the decision. All right, I'm going to coach when I'm done. And so I really honestly treated the rest of my playing career like it was a research project. And in the off seasons, I would, I would come visit friends that I knew that I had maybe played with or that I knew that were playing for clubs in England, that were playing for clubs in Germany, that were playing for clubs in Spain. And I would come and I would watch them train. I would try to speak to coaches. I would watch games. I would travel around to watch lower divisions. I would, you know, I really tried to learn and take notes and see how way things operated and quite honestly, I didn't do it with the mindset that I was going to eventually come here to coach because at that time it was not possible, right? Nobody had been doing that. It was more that I wanted to be a coach in MLS or maybe even in college, but I wanted to really kind of start to wrap my mind around what that, what that was going to be. And so between playing, between working on my leadership skills, my communication skills, between taking my coaching licenses, between traveling and watching, watching uh, other football environments here in Europe – um, you know, I was really starting to formulate who I wanted to be as a coach. And, and that was one of the reasons why Bob even put me on his staff as, uh, as an assistant coach for the U S national team. As soon as I finished playing is because he, he had known that I'd been doing a lot of preparation in those areas. Now, as an assistant coach for the U S national team, I say it's the best internship for, a, a, an aspiring coach that, that you could possibly have. And I said, the other, the other, the other thing I say about it is you're paid so it well. <laughs> doesn't hurt. But you know, when you have this job, you're 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 playing international. You're getting you're you're working with the best players in your country. You're preparing against the best coaches and the best players around the world. You're preparing for the biggest tournament in the world, that is the World Cup. You're you know, so you're you're really now able to delve yourself into what um, high level football is. So I really use that, I think, to also help. Uh, um, prepare myself for the next steps. Then coming to Europe, you know, when I talked about uh, adapting and, and, and learning cultures and even going to Leipzig as an assistant, a big reason why I did those things is because I watched what happened to Bob Bradley, right? And I saw, I know how hard Bob Bradley works. I know how intelligent of a man he is. I know how committed he is to, to trying to be the best coach that he could be. And I watched England chew him up and spit him out. And, and I, and I, when I watched that, it was painful for me as a close friend of Bob, but I also thought that if that was something that I ever wanted to do, that I would need to make sure that a pedigree matters and b really adapting to the culture matters now. And you still, when you adapt to the culture, you cannot be a chameleon, right? You can't just now only represent the things that that culture is because that's not being true to yourself, but certainly it needs to be included in, in, in who you are. So a big part of the reason why I learned German and, and ded have dedicated myself so heavily to, to becoming fluent in German is so that people don't tr just treat me like another American, right? That they look at me more for, for what the way the team plays um, than, than who I am as a person or who I am not as a person. And I, and I think that that's, that's been really important to my success, certainly here in Salzburg. You mentioned something particularly interesting, and that is perception. Football is a team sport, but the coaches and managers play a special role in this ecosystem. When you take a look at media outlets, the most profile pieces are done on coaches. So you're at the center of attention. 
And you talked about the no to Marsh sign, for instance. But also, on the other hand, your dressing room speech during the match against Liverpool went viral. And many people saw you with different eyes after that. Saw you as this outstanding mentality guy. But of course, you're not just giving these kind of speeches all the time. Um, so maybe they were more narrow-minded in their perception uh, of you as a person and as a coach. How much do you think about public perception and your reputation? Is it something where you read the papers and think about the way the media and pundits and even other club officials see you as a coach and as Jesse Marsh? I'm very aware that perception is reality. Um, so like even this podcast, right? Like emailed me, it would have been really easy for me to go, no, I'm busy. <laughs> right. But I understand. And, and I do a lot of like, I have a, I have a zoom call later tonight uh, with Yale soccer. Okay. A, a guy, a colleague who has a friend who's the coach at Yale soccer asked me if I could do this for him tomorrow. I'm a keynote speaker for the U S soccer convention. And then it's a big honor for them to even ask me to do such a thing. But I do these things a lot because I, I, I try to help people understand who I am and how I believe. Do I think it's that unique or special? No, not necessarily, but I think it's, it, you, you know, it's unique and special to me. And, and so um, even with me coming to Europe here, one of the first things that, that I was asked by the media here in Austria was, um, What do people think back home of, of you being the first coach to coach in Champions League? And I said, first of all, I'm not sure that that's true, that I'm the first American to coach in Champions League. Later, they found out that it was true. And second is, I'm not sure how many people really know. And then after we had success last year in Champions League and maybe the, the, the halftime talk against Liverpool had something to do with it too, then I started to realize that, that people were recognizing what was happening back home. And so, you know, then, then I carry a responsibility as well, I think, to, to make sure that I, I hold the torch for American coaches here in Europe and that, and the best, but in the end, the best way to do that is to, to do my work and to represent the club I, I work for and, and to, to try to create um, my version or our version here at Salzburg, uh, our version of success. So all these things do matter. Right. They do matter. Um, what I say, how I say it, what I believe, um, how the team plays, how I work, they matter. Right. And, and, and it matters. Certainly most the most important thing is it matters for the work that we do in Salzburg and how our team is able to achieve success. But then, you know, if 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 I want to pursue a long career in this job and I want people to believe in me and 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 think that I can be the type of person that can that can take their club, their team, their players, their yeah, their city in in into the next stages of success, then yeah, I, I have to make sure that that people understand who I am and how I work and what I do and, and make sure that it fits with with what they're trying to build. So I enjoy that. I enjoy that. You know, I'm, I'm definitely, there's no question. I am a mentality coach. I've, I freaking hope so. Right. I hope that when my teams step on the field, they fight and run and battle and do everything they can to claw their way to success, but also do it in a way that still represents a sophisticated way of, of arranging themselves on the field and tactically being intelligent and, and still now finding ways to be better than the opponent. That's the goal. So It's not one thing, guys. It's everything, you know? And, and so I, to, to do the job effectively, 
I have to have areas of expertise that are specifically related to what being a football manager is, but, but also I have to, I have to make sure that, that there's a, that when, when people, when players, when fans, when, when presidents, when owners, when they see me, that they think that's a guy that we want on our side. Yeah. I, I appreciate some of these things that you're, you're saying because the, like, I just, just in terms of the, the honesty and I, I really, um i really think it's it's great and and um you know there's there's obviously you know i think it's it's not it's you're you're kind of the exception in that case not not the norm because there are a lot of uh coaches who who you know are, are very selective about the media and and i think there's some who even have kind of uh disdain is too strong but at least like skepticism and and rightfully so so i appreciate you uh well i think doing- it's you know, sorry for interrupting a little bit but But the media's job is to, to scrutinize, to criticize, to, to, to say what they think. And sometimes coaches, I think, take these things really personally. You know? And obviously, we invest a lot of time in what we do. But, but if, that, if you can't accept that as part of the job, then go do something else. <laughs> right. But then there's also, obviously, you know, I think it's a big topic in, in Germany about uh, you know, the, the level of qualifications needed to. And, and not just, you know, I mean, not, not in terms of having an opinion, but in, I think there's a difference between having an opinion and having a professional opinion and, and, and where that goes into personal territory. So, but, but I, I, I mean, I, I think... I'll interrupt you one more time. Yeah, Sorry. of course. Of course. Um, when, you know, like when I see nine to Marsh, that honestly, that gets, that gets, that, that motivates me. Mm-hmm. That does, okay. You know what I mean? That doesn't intimidate me or make me feel like, oh, I shouldn't be. It's, it's okay, good. I'll show them. I'll win them over. I'm going to, with my work and with the way that the team will play, we're going to, we're going to show these guys how good we can be. And then they're going to love us. And that's, listen, that's, that's my experience, whether it was as a player or as, as a coach. It's about inspiring people to believe that 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 we can do more than 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 what we're expected to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was wondering how how that sort of meshes with with sort of the Red Bull family because you know you obviously you know um, joined them after your playing career and I think even you know uh, just 2015 with in, in New York and um, there's I think now there's there's clearly an argument of of, of their existing a, a Red Bull style which which is. Um, certainly I think evident in Salzburg and Leipzig and to some extent in, in New York for sure. I mean, you, you probably can tell us a lot more about this, but first of all, do, do you agree about this, this style, uh, being visible, uh, and how much of a sort of exchange back and forth, like, is there between, uh, the different clubs or even just Salzburg and Leipzig in terms of coaching staff and, yeah. and those kind of things? Well, you know, I mean, th- that has changed even in my time with Red Bull. Because in 2015, um, that was the first year that that Leipzig. Uh, 2016 was the first year that Leipzig was in in the Bundesliga, and so we could operate as one club theoretically, because uh, Salzburg and Leipzig were not competing in Europe. But now, after 2016, 16 into 2017 that changed because uh Leipzig qualified for Champions League and and Salzburg was always playing in Europa Liga so that meant that that now we had to separate what the relationships were and that and that exists but obviously um you know we all have relationships from the past it's not like Julian Nagelsmann and I are are speaking with each other every week but we know each other and we're aware of each other's football and I think there's an appreciation for what each other does but But, you know, I, one of the things about even like if you talk about the tutelage of Ralph Rangnick, 
he is he is very a very strict thinker in the philosophy of the way we play football. Now, he also is very flexible in understanding that not everybody, not every coach is going to interpret the way he thinks about football the same. And, and that's that is in its that's one of you know, Ralph was Ralph and Helmut Gross really, really created this football over years and it was an evolutionary process. But I think they were also very aware that not every coach is going to implement everything exactly the same. And they have to give freedom to coaches to, to still to take the philosophy and apply it the way that they think that they should. And, and, and that's also unique to their particular player pool and particular league and competition and everything. So, yes, do we have a playing style? 100%. No question. Uh, do Yulian and I interpret that differently? 100%. Yes. Um, are there advantages to the things he does and are there, you know, and disadvantages, are there advantages to the way that I do it and disadvantages? Yes. Yes. To all those questions. But I mean, I think, um, it's been fun to watch Julian kind of apply, come to, come to Leipzig, apply some of the things that he does also take some of the things that Red Bull does and then grow within the system. And that's certainly what I try to do as well with the way that, that we do things. So, um, it, I, I, I say often that once you, once you get familiar with the philosophy, it can almost teach itself. And one, one example I have of that is, is when I was in, I, 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 I met with Ralph and Helmut and then we, we traveled to Doha together. I watched Leipzig and Salford train and I took a lot of their ideas and I loved it. It was really like an explosion in my, in my footballing head. And then I, and I really put it all to practice in my own way in New York over the entire season. Like for the rest of that 10 month period where I was in MLS and we won the supporter shield in 2015, I didn't speak on the phone with Helmut or Ralph again. We texted and just supported each other in different little ways. Then I came back and, and I talked with them about some of the things that, that I was experiencing about what we were doing. And they talked about some of the things that they were experiencing and, and now playing in the uh, getting to the Bundesliga and some of the things that they were encountering. And it was incredible to see that we were we were experiencing a lot of the same things, what opponents were trying against us, what we thought the next stages of of some of our tactical details were, how we were trying to push the envelope and to get better within our within our teams and and the I told the I talked about this with the psychologist at the time whose name was uh, Sasha Lenza, um, who's now at Schalke, and he said to me, you know, four cultures around the world at around the same stages of of human development, civilization development, all invented the wheel around the same time, but in four different locations. And he said, maybe it's a little bit like that. That you know the challenges of our football and and the 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 experiences of of what you see and what opponents present force all of us to think a little bit about how to get and grow and get a little bit better and adapt uh, within our own independent teams and leagues. And so I I believe that I believe that once you learn this philosophy that it can in many ways teach itself because you have to come up with solutions on your own. You brought up Ralf Rangnick, who has been one of the most fascinating figures in German and even European football for over two decades by this point. He was someone who introduced the modern back four to a wider public in Germany around 2000 when he was coaching Ulm. He was then called the football professor by the media. Later, of course, he took over RB Leipzig and managed the entire Red Bull football operation, but also for a period coached Leipzig's team and you worked under him. What was your first impression of him? And later then, did you view him as someone who was obsessed with details or rather someone who was thinking and working with a long-term vision? 
I was really interested to hear your opinion on Rangnick. Well, first, the first time I met him was an interview with him and Gerard Houllier. Um, they came to interview me for the New York Red Bulls job. Um, and most of the discussion started with Gerard and him and I talking about football. And I talked about counterpressing. I talked about pressing. I talked about um, manipulating space with how you move your team with and without the ball. And, and quite honestly, I never heard the name Ralph Rangnick and I never knew anything about his football. <laughs> <laughs> But he could, you know, a lot of the things that we, we thought about or thought similarly about um, it sparked, sparked his interest. And so he was really quiet um, and it was mostly Gerard and I, and I think he was just observing. And then the last hour of the interview was almost him and I arguing what I thought was arguing. <laughs> and it was, I mean, it was a football discussion, but it was, you know, a lot of kind of back and forth and him being very adamant about the things that he thought about and, and me being not so sure and being more subjective or about certain things. And, and, and then I left the interview thinking there's no way I'm getting this job. Right. Based on the way the conversation went. And I got a text from the, 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 the CEO at the time, whose name was Mark de Grand Prix about a half hour later. And he said, they love you. And I was, and I, and I had before that even spoken to my wife and I was like, forget that job. <laughs> um, but you know, this is, this is sort of the beauty of Ralph is he's a very analytical thinker. Um, you know, I would describe the two parts of Ralph are there's the analytical teacher, right? That, that is all about like evolving the philosophy and sharing the philosophy and teaching the philosophy. And then there's the ultra, ultra competitive Ralph that has no room for, or flexibility for, for failure, for, for not absolutely committing the best. And, you know, the two of them together can create a bit of a mad scientist feel And it can in days be a lot uh, of pressure and, and very um, stressful, but then on other days can be very much um, about learning and about teaching and about, about uh, there's a warm feel to it. And so, you know, it, 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 it depends when he's in the sporting director role, I think he had took on more of the teacher role. And when he's in more of the coaching role, then he's more uh, a little bit focused on the success part. Um, but, but nonetheless, these, these qualities about him have, have made him successful. Now, when you talk about Red Bull, it, it, you know, obviously Helmut and Ralph have this shared vision of football, but you have to also talk about Herr Mattischitz because it was his idea to go to Germany. It was his idea to create uh, a broader perspective of, of, of relationships between clubs. And, you know, he's not just applied that to football. He's Uh, applied that to auto racing. He's applied that to skiing. He's applied that obviously to the, to the can, to the, to the product. Um, so it was, I think the meeting of these two geniuses coming together that really created what Red Bull is now and what the philosophy is, what the, what the structure of the football clubs are. And, 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 and I think in the end it's become in many ways a model for modern day football right? It's not just the philosophy, but it's also the structure of the clubs and, and the young and, uh, and finding young players and scouting and, and coaching and everything and academies. So for me, I feel very fortunate, very fortunate for that meeting that I had with Ralph and, and Gerard Houllier, because 
it's given me a, a, a real opportunity to, to, I think, achieve and, and develop as a coach and to be part of something that's, I think, very unique to world football. Indeed, indeed. The Red Bull clubs have been able to create a certain philosophy that stands out in a way. I mean, I guess there is an advantage if you, as it was the case in Leipzig, can build something from the ground up. Now, at Salzburg, things are a bit different. It feels like you're in a constant rebuilding phase. Salzburg have gained notoriety as a football factory for high-level talents. But the downside is that you lose these talents very quickly. I mean, just a few weeks ago, you had to say goodbye to Dominic Soboslai because he moved on and signed with RB Leipzig. How do you approach this situation? How do you as a coach constantly rebuild a team after pivoted players like Holland, like Minamino, and now like Soboslai leave Salzburg? Yes. Um, yes. So here's how I... I, I, I look at this. Um, yeah, being the coach of, of Red Bull Salzburg, you have to be committed to developing young players. Um, and and the, the beauty is, is you get a lot of highly talented young players. And now it's about maximizing their learning curve, maximizing their potential, maximizing the, their, their, the people that they can become, right? Because it's not... It's really important to understand it's not just about the player. It's, it's often more about the person. Um, and so this is our art and visa. This is our philosophy. This is our way, right? Um, and, and it's beautiful, right? Now, I've, I've been in charge of taking the, the club sort of into the next stage, into this Champions League phase, right? So... For 14 years, the club had tried to get to Champions League and had failed 11 times in the playoff round. Then I come in and, and we were automatically qualified. And then the next year, we finally uh, advanced past that qualification round. So two years in a row, now we've been in Champions League. We've performed really well in Champions League um, and I think um, inspired a lot of different people by our football and by, the, by who we are. But ultimately, in my mind, we've come up short as well because we haven't advanced out of the group phase. We've, we've qualified for Europa League in both years, and I think doing so, in a, again, in an inspired way. But ultimately, my goal, and, and this is part of my Americanness, is, is to figure out how to get over the – not just into Champions League again, but to also think about how to get into the qualification round. Um, now, if you get into the qualification round, you're most likely drawing Liverpool, Man City, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and you're probably getting waxed in the next round. <laughs> anyway, but still, like that's the ambition in me is is to, to to find a way to achieve that. But I also understand to do that, you 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 probably need a few more experienced players, a few a few more players that have have already achieved that, have been around the block that. That understand, you know how to how to how to uh, manage those situations, but our job is my job as the coach here is to always develop the next generation of players because that's how we do things. So, you know, I'm caught a little bit in in between, you know, wanting to be ambitious to achieve a little bit more, but also uh, understanding what the role of this club is and what the way of uh, that we do things and and how we take the next the next generation of 17, 18 year olds and turn them into the next superstars of Europe. So um, as long as I'm in this role, I have to really appreciate that what this club has done has, has been fantastic and, and the identity that has been built. Um, we have to stay true to that, 
but I'm also always trying to figure out ways to push the envelope to, to, to find ways to take the next steps, to, to encourage more ambition, to, to continue to try to, you know, change the idea of what we are and who we are and, and, and become more. So those are, those are the competing interests a little bit right now, but, but I think that we can still find a way to continually push the envelope a little bit higher every year and get a little bit closer to the ultimate goals. So, but at the same, you know, I, I really, really am thankful to be here. I'm really appreciative of the support that they've given me. I'm really appreciative of the identity of what the club is. Um, I, I hope that from the fans' perspective, from the owners' perspective, from the leaders in the club's perspectives, that that they're proud of the work that I've personally done and that we've done as a trainer team and as a as a as a team, uh, what we've been able to achieve, and and the work will always be ongoing. Um, so in the end, yeah, may it may it lead to other opportunities for me. I, I think that's natural to think so and and believe so. Um, but, it, but I, I know the best thing to do is to just stick to the work that I do every do and do, do every day and do the best that I can for this group of players and this team. All right. Great. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you for your time. Normally at this point in the show, we plug Twitter and Jesse, you're also a Twitter guy. You're at Jesse Marsh there. Abel is at BundesPL on Twitter. I am CC underscore Ekna on Twitter. And if you want to support us, support our show please visit patreon.com slash thefootballpod. And for now, we are out.